0: Hi, I'm Lauren Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a long-time gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. I'm Lori, and I'm your host today as we head into the letter to 1 Timothy. We may head a little bit into 2 Timothy as well, but I have a lot to say about 1 Timothy. So today we're going to hit about two things. First, hope in Christ and the role of women in the church, next on the 20-Minute Scriptorian. Right, so first, uh, welcome back, everybody. As you know, this is where we discuss some of the Come, Follow Me lesson plans. We're in about November, and we are starting to talk about these epistles, these letters that are going out to the bishops of the church in the first century Christianity, and they are awesome. They're so practical, and they have so many good little tidbits of what it was like to try to lead a congregation back then, and I find them very heartening, a lot to be kind of gleaned and drawn from here that are super practical for us today. So two things I wanted to go uh, talk about is is just first this this very first thing that Paul's going to address in the letter. There's a lot in First Timothy and a lot in Second and Titus. Well, so these aren't the only things. They're just two things I thought were great. So remember, first, Paul is acting as kind of the uh, mentor or the uh, the apostle, the bishop to. Timothy, who is the bishop of Ephesus, and he's going to address two main concerns that they're having there in the in the town of Ephesus. And first, it's this teaching of false doctrine, and you're going to see that in First Timothy one three. And then also there are these behaviors and the roles of everyone in the congregation, and how does everyone kind of play nice together, and how how to make this work. So, while giving instruction to Timothy in these two categories, there are a few things I think that are really uh, uh, prevalent. First this doctrine of Christ as our hope. The second is the role of women in the church. And if we have time we may talk about how common it was to have false doctrine even then. So those are Paul's teaching 2 millennia ago and they're just as powerful today if we can apply them and we can see them. So one of the strongest teachings I find in 1st Timothy is this role of Jesus as the mediator, as the redeemer, as the savior. Paul leaves no doubt of the importance of the role of the Messiah. And not only for him, but for the new converts in this new religion. Encapsulating these roles, Paul first really calls him our hope. And this is in First Timothy 1. The very first thing out of the gate that he says is that he is our hope. So let's go there and read it and see if you see the same thing. So this is 1 Timothy 1, and I am reading from the King James. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, peace, from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, there it is. Did you see it? He says, He's sending, this is a commandment, but it, who's Jesus Christ, who is our hope. I love how often Paul uses that term hope, that Christ is our hope. And it just, boy, it's, I forget about that. I forget about how hopeful the gospel makes us that things work out when he is, uh, when he can be our hope. So let's take a step back. Do you have challenges in your family in your life, with work, finances, health, doubts, boredom, meaning, purpose, anything? Do you have someplace that you say, boy, I could really use some hope? I think that's what Christ is always trying to be in our lives, that there's always something greater, that there is hope out there. And if we look far enough we look deep enough we can see that he is our hope it could be that there is purpose that there is it's going to be set right someday that he at least listens and is there and can support us whatever is really tough in your life I think that we can say Jesus Christ is our hope and if we focus on them then we can find out that Christ is our hope I, one of my favorite books is the book of Isaiah and I constantly going back and, and studying Isaiah and trying to just get more and more out of there. And it's just the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. And part of that is that theme of hope that there's this judgment, but there's a hope and there's this remnant, this, this group, this book of Mormon, this latter day hope that Christ is going to be there. This suffering servant is our great hope. And I just am always reflecting on on how much that is a great theme. So as a result of this that the Messiah is uh this hope of redemption. He's going to save us. He's the one who can save the Gentiles. He can save the Jews and ultimately all people of all ages, living and dead and past and present and future. And he summarizes Paul summarizes this right in that second verse that is the grace and mercy and peace. And our lives, we can have these powerful gifts, but only through the atonement of Jesus Christ. As teachers, as ministers, as ministering brothers and sisters, we should always start with Jesus as our hope. It is inspiring, it's heartfelt, and it, just this powerful message of Isaiah as well. And so, thanks, Paul thanks for the reminder. Contrastingly, however, the epistle of Paul has some of the most striking and then kind of this controversial instructions on the role of women in the church. So here I am, I'm teaching Sunday school, and yet Paul seems to be saying that I shouldn't teach, right? And as a 21st century woman, and one that spent years teaching the scriptures, and deep down, I, I feel like this is one of my gifts, right? I'm like, wait, what? And so these scriptures can be distressing and Maybe a little infuriating, and and so, you know, what is he saying, and what do we do with this kind of stuff? So first, here's what happens. He says, uh, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. 1 Timothy two twelve. I emphasized that, but I do not permit a woman to teach. So, what do you do with that? Um, you know, frankly, in the past, I kind of just chalked this up to just some kind of anachronism something just old fuddy-duddy thing that they used to do or just a poor translation or something that we just didn't address I mean I've had women teachers my whole life um women pray in church and serve missions and all kinds of things and in the temple you know they serve roles there and so I just was like well, I don't know what that's talking about so I kind of just ignored it but here it is staring us in the face um and so what do you do with uh, with that well let me go back through how I thought about this. I said, all right, well, what is the role of women? Should they not be speaking in the scriptures? I mean, what other evidence is? And from the beginning, we see that women are holding really important roles. My favorite are just the first few chapters of the Bible, right? God comes down, he creates the earth, he, he forms it, and he fills it, and as he puts order and he fills it with animals and swimming things and flying things and creeping things, he ends up with this great culminating creation as man, and woman together equal and it's only then that they are the job is complete and he says it's very good and he stops and he rests and so from the beginning you see man and women are best together so I think well okay well you know there they are together there's no one without the other and and right from chapter one um that's office uh, awesome okay so so far so good I also like uh in the book of Judges that that Deborah is one of the only Uh, actual judges that's any good. The others are pretty bad examples in the book of Judges. Uh, Deborah is awesome. And then I like in Genesis, Rebecca is really stepping in and determined to follow the prophecy of Jacob getting the birthright, even though it kind of seems like Isaac is leaning towards his handsome hunter son. He's they're like, hey, the bookish son is the one that's getting the birthright, and of course Isaac makes the right decision. But Rebecca's like pushing, like I am gonna obey the Lord, and I, I love that about Rebecca. She's this key role. Obviously, Mary and Martha, they're in Jesus's inner circle. And even the first, uh, I've mentioned it before, European convert was Lydia, right, in Acts. Um, The first of Christ's miracles in his ministry was helping his mother. Uh, And much of his ministry was spent with women. Uh, He showed himself the morning of his resurrection to the women. So I don't seem to see that women are second-class citizens at all in the scriptures. Um, I love in the Book of Mormon, right, you see Sariah is right there with Lehi and worrying about her sons and teaching and supporting. And, you know, it's just not a culture where they write very much and they talk about them. Um, but I would love to know more about these women and, and who who were they, but you just don't see them as being second-class citizens. So, okay, got it. All right, so let's take another view. Let's step outside, and I've mentioned it before, but what was going on in the context? Well, Uh, N.T. Wright, a a great theologian and bishop of the Anglican Church, his name's Tom, but his initials are N.N.T., Nicholas Tom Wright, has a great series of books. And he writes that Ephesus, again, was this location of this Greek temple to Artemis, and where all the priests were priestesses, and they were women. So they were a, a religion Dedicated to a goddess, and then the priesthood was all women. And so they put men in a diminished role. This was a place where men and women were not equal. And and so it was the opposite that the men were put down. And so I think Paul is setting right something that was cultural to them. And and that's what N.T. Wright says as well. He says, Hey, in this infant church, Paul may have had to be clear that women were not to assume a similar role to what they did in this cult of Artemis that they had to they could not just be dominating and just doing all the teaching and all the learning but they had to also follow the priesthood as well and so they could be equals but they couldn't be dominant so i think that's interesting and that seems right to me right it's with humility i can teach in a congreg- congregation i can be inspired to to teach by the spirit and i can teach both men and women and i think paul's overarching direction is the proper behavior and deportment is to let all people learn in peace and harmony without dominance or bullying or arguing and contention it's that it needs to be all together and that seems to be a key in teaching a congregation is the harmony not gender another thing you have to remember is that these we've seen a lot of changes even recently and there's a difference between doctrine and practice right over the years different practices have taken place right how old missionaries can be uh if we do scouts or if we don't have scouts if we have beehives and laurels and my maids or if we just call them young women if uh we have a women or men witnessing different um uh ordinances if we can go on a i said missions but mission age has changed so many times that we're kind of used to that one but think about that i mean that's that is really different the 18, 19, no, 18 months, no, 24 months, no. So we're used to practices changing. Things are practices. Doctrines don't change. Doctrines of God, Jesus Christ, the authority of the priesthood, the restoration of the gospel, right? The Holy Ghost in our lives. Those are doctrines. But these other things are practices. And this seems to be a practice. So another example, as you can see, practices changing a lot, even in the scriptures. Uh, They have practices of, think of one that's just so appalling to us, was slavery they don't come out and say change every cultural belief right and Paul as an apostle doesn't say run away slaves and he just works within the culture that they're in and tries to get them to be fair and kind and obedient within the culture they're in and and be good Christian people not overthrow and and I think he's doing the same thing here so I don't think we can use the scriptures as a handbook of instructions for every day and age. That's why we have a handbook of instructions today. Doctrines stay the same, practices don't. And here we see one that, that it's easy to get kind of caught up. Women shouldn't speak. But we obviously do all the time, so clearly we're not following that. So when is it specific to them, and when is it specific to us and cultural? Well, there are lots of those. If you actually want to go back to the Old Testament, they have all these crazy—I know I said slavery, but there were some about how to handle— if you take women as uh, prizes of war and instead of just abusing them and uh, sexual abuse and leaving them to die, you actually have to take them home and marry them and wait a month uh, before you can get married and then if and then you can marry them properly and take care of them. So there are these, you probably don't even know those scriptures, but there are practices where the Lord saying, hey, I want you to be better than the society you're in and he takes us a step farther. Anyway, don't get caught up on that last one. That was a weird story. But anyway, so that's kind of what's happening um, here in Timothy. Now, so that was first, hope, second, role of women. There is one other thing that really stands out in prevalence in First Timothy, and that's the church is really young, and already Alexander and Hymenaeus have been removed as teaching false doctrines. So there's this prevalence of this false doctrine sneaking in. And so there's also some specific instructions, and like you'll see it in one four where he talks about these myths and genealogies and understanding the purpose of the law and and kind of what's going on but there are these false teachers and it seems to be some misunderstanding seems to be rampant is that applicable to us today do people just really misunderstand the gospel yeah, I would say, I think we'd say first, well, no, no, not in my church. That's that other denomination or that other ward or that other family that doesn't get it, but I get it. Uh, but in fact, if we're probably thinking of an example right now, we're secre- secretly glad, right? We're not them. We, we get it, but those others don't get it. Um, oh, what hubris, right? We should probably be thinking, I think Paul is telling Timothy the same thing he would write to any congregation, that false doctrine is something to be watched out for, not just in a new church. And Paul gives direction to Timothy that we can all apply. And first, we should only teach true doctrine, namely that Christ came to save repentant sinners, that he is the great mediator and the savior of all men. So you're going to see that in 1-3, 1-12, 2-5, 4-10, right? First, teach true doctrine, 1-3. Christ came to save repentant sinners, 1-12-17, that he is the great mediator, 2-5-7, through and that he is the savior of all men, Four ten. I think that most of us are trying to teach true doctrine. I think we try to focus on the good works and in Christ. And yet we differ widely on doctrine. So while we um, try very hard, I think if we stay true to those principles, then we know we're teaching right doctrine. Don't get stuck in something wonky. All right. That is First Timothy. Let's move on to Second Timothy. Second Timothy is obviously a letter written to the same Timothy in the same congregation in Ephesus, just a little bit farther along in time. And I think something that's really interesting is how uh, Paul is going to talk about a couple new uh, interesting points, and the first is this nature of persecution. Um, There are some challenges going on, and and Paul's going to advise on kind of this being persecuted and some of the challenges. Uh, One of the first is that being Christian, I think, means being persecuted and suffering. And that's kind of shocking, right? You just think, boy, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to buy into that if it's going to get harder. But well, let me tell you a story that I think is kind of applicable. But when I was on my mission in Barcelona, uh, we were teaching and, and sharing and challenging people. But, but obviously, each person we taught, they would be so excited, right? You didn't teach a lot, but the few times you did teach, um, there was a woman that we were teaching, we'll call her Lola, and uh, short for Dolores, and she was just excited, and she was just on fire, and she came to the meetings, and she came to the lessons, and she started to become socially uh, active with the various events. Again, this was a really small branch, so everyone knew who she was, and then we just noticed over time, she kind of just stopped attending, and so she stopped accepting calls, was never home when we stopped by, she kind of kept blowing us off, so we knew Something was up, but we just couldn't get a hold of Lola. So it was months before I saw her again. And then accidentally we ran into her on the street and she was really uncomfortable to make eye contact and, and just, you know, him hanging around and just like, Hey, we were worried about you. What's going on? And she finally just blurted out and was kind of like, I thought being a, you know, a, a member of the church was going to make my life better, but everything's been terrible. And she just talked about how After her baptism that she had found out she had lupus, uh, the autoimmune disease, and then her daughter had stopped talking to her because she joined the church, and her grandmother had disowned her from leading her Catholic faith, and people at work had made fun of her, and all of these persecutions for her were really a surprise. They were overwhelming. They were hurtful, and so she just said that she decided that it wasn't worth it, and she would just rather go back uh, to just doing what she did before. So what Lola had discovered, even in the modern age, is that the life of a disciple is one of persecutions and challenges. Obviously, lupus wasn't a result, but she, she felt like it was. But Paul says something interesting in, in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 1. He says, For this gospel I was appointed a herald and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do Paul tells Timothy that this life of a, of a Latter-day Saint, of a Christian, even an apostle, is going to be one of suffering, and persecutions come, even to us in the 21st century, uh, even in countries where we probably aren't going to be persecuted so much, but they're still going to come, and sometimes they come from those that are closest to us, and Lola thought that the blessings of healthiness and or health and happiness were hers, and yet she was being bullied and persecuted in her life. So Paul gives us some advice on how we're going to survive them, how we're going to survive these challenges that come our way when we embrace the Lord. First, he says that we will suffer, and it can bring us comfort that we're on the right track. That's kind of cold comfort, right? Hey, he says in 2 Timothy 2, 3, like, it's proof you're on the right track, that knowing that our, uh, we are in fellowship with the Lord. The Lord suffered. We're no greater than him, and so we must be on the right track. He suffered first, and we can follow his example. Then second, Paul testifies that the suffering that we endure will be worth it. Because why? Why would this be worth it? You'll say, well, because it's good for me. He says, because it brings salvations to others. So in Second 2 Timothy 2.10, he says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they may also obtain the salvation that's in Christ. I think Paul is telling us that our goal is the higher cause, the best reason, right? Is to help in the job of saving others through our Lord. The suffering may come, but it is worth it. Lastly, he tells us that it isn't, it's not always going to last. He said the Lord rescued him from trials, Second Timothy 3.11. And we know that Paul thought that he would have died before this, but he was in prison again and he was being sustained. I mean, Paul just went through some tough stuff. And he says, I think that this message is a little bit of hope and a little bit worrisome, right? It's like, Paul, are you telling me that if I accept the gospel, I'm going to endure suffering? And he says, yep. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Ooh, ouch. And so by accepting the life of the disciple is one of guaranteed hardship. But Paul tells us that we can be supported in Christ and that he will save us. He suffered first as an example. This is helpful, but it's a little bit scary. The challenges are guaranteed, but the goal is the most worthwhile. Being partners with Christ and helping to save others and bringing them the good news. You know, if I saw Lola today... I think I might have a different answer than I did then. I think, I don't know what I said then, frankly, but I think I would sit down and tell her that as a new uh, follower of Christ, that I would tell her that Christ is our exemplar and he suffered and he would support her and uplift her through her challenges. You're going to have challenges anyway in life. These are a little bit unique to being a disciple, but He's he suffered and he would support her and uplift her. Would he remove them so that life was easy? Nope. No, I don't think so. But the blessings of discipleship, including salvation, are worth any effort. Uh, Paul goes on to teach Timothy how he can be strengthened in such times. So take a look at that and see if you don't see any other tips in Timothy for how to overcome these persecutions. That's it. That is the letter, first and second letter to Timothy. We went a little bit over, but we got a lot to talk about, and I'll try to do Titus next time. Thanks, scriptorians, and keep on reading.